0: You may be seated. And uh, if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in the Gospel of uh, Mark. And just going to be finding Mark, we're going to look at a few verses to uh, help us get going together this evening. But here, right at the front end, I want to say to you what we're going to talk about tonight is very, very important. Now, I believe that's true anytime that we get together as the people of God and open up the scripture. But the things we're going to talk about tonight are so incredibly important. For your life, for your heart, for your soul, for your eternity. And we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. Um, It's my conviction that the healthiest way to study the Bible is to study what's called in an expository fashion. That means we take a book of the Bible, we start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we study all the way through till we get to the end of that book. That prevents me from um, saying just something that I'd like to say and talk about what I want to talk about. That protects you from, say, my agenda, so to speak, and it also enables us to not avoid the hard things so that we can get the whole counsel of God. And there's something in particular going on in Mark chapter 8 that I want you to be aware of. And so for that reason, I'm going to read, we want to read together a sampling of verses. And in particular, a phrase that's been repeating up to Mark 8. But once we get done with Mark 8, we're not going to see it much more as we continue through the gospel of Mark. Uh, This is just a sample. It's not an exhaustive list. But for example, if you've got Mark, go to chapter 5 with me and look at verse 21. We studied through this section already, but I just want you to see. It says, and when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd, and that's going to be our phrase, a great crowd gathered about him. Look in chapter 6 and verse number 34. Mark six thirty-four. When he went ashore, he saw, what did he see? A Great crowd, or maybe your translation says a large crowd, or maybe a multitude. In Mark eight verse one, in those days, when again, what does he have? A great crowd, and then it happens one more time in chapter nine verse fourteen. So we're not completely done with it in Mark eight. So I just want you to see. And when they came, uh, this is Mark nine fourteen. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd what I want you to know is as we continue through Mark's gospel, guess what's going to happen to the crowd size? It's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and that crowd size is going to diminish until we get to the night that Jesus is betrayed, and by and large, he is all alone. And what I want to suggest to you is one of the major reasons for that happening, large crowd turning smaller and smaller, is because of what Jesus says in Mark 8 that we're going to study together tonight. I almost said this morning by habit, but it's tonight, Saturday evening. How about this? Isn't, this? isn't this fun? Saturday evening worship. Oh, I do want you to stand for this portion of the reading of God's word. So just about the time you got good and comfortable, I'm going to get you to stand again. And even if you're streaming, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the word of the Lord. So here's Mark eight thirty four. whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray together. Father, may deep down in our souls what Jesus meant when he said these words be the message that we proclaim. I need help, Lord. In humility, I ask for help. I truly want to be someone who comes after the real Jesus. And I come after the real Jesus in the right way. God, give me grace. Give me grace to be one who follows Jesus. We ask this in His name. Amen. Amen. Well, here by way of illustration, as we get going, I want to I want to uh, ask my friend Timon. Is Timon here? Timon, are you still here? Timon's here. Everybody, welcome Timon tonight. Timon is going to help us out this evening, live and in person. And Timon is going to illustrate for us tonight a fan. And just by looking at Timon. You can look that he is a fan of a particular team. And as I look out here, uh, Timon ha- has made some enemies already. Just by, I know, by some loyalties of some people in the room, that Timon uh, is, all right, we're, we're going to walk through. We're all in this together. So Timon is going to represent a fan. And if you want to boo and hiss him at this moment, can we? let's just get it all out. At one, On the count of three, one, two, three. Okay, there we go. So, so now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue on And what Timon Ty- is is a fan. And one of the things we've been talking about as a church family in recent studies in Mark's gospel is there is a big difference between what we'll call a fan of Jesus and followers of Jesus. There's a great distinction, and I don't believe it's an exaggeration to tell you there's an eternal difference between fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. Now, we're just going to use Timon as an example of a fan, and let's just suppose that we're going to ride along with Timon or follow him to a Carolina basketball game. Now he's gonna get in his car here in Rocky Mountain. He's gonna to drive to the Dean Smith Center. And I'm gonna tell you, that is work. If you've ever been to a Carolina game, just getting there, finding a place to park, figuring out how to get there, that is an ordeal. And it takes a lot of time and preparation and forethought, but now timing, let's just suppose, and he's doing a great job by the way, just a wonderful, wonderful fan. Now he's going into the game. He's paid for his ticket. He is going to spend the next several hours cheering and screaming are you a screamer time another game yes yes he's going to get into it and he's going to cheer he's going to scream and he's if the team wins he's going to be really excited and we're just going to pretend that Carolina wins that day all right so they won the game he's going to go with the crowd he's going to leave the game he's going to drive home he's going to get home he's going to be exhausted and he's going to go home that night and maybe somebody's going to ask him this question who won and if time is like a lot of fans here's the phrase he's going to use We did. That's what Timon's going to say. Now, we are not discounting the fact that Tymon has spent some money. He spent some time. He spent some energy. In some ways, he spent some devotion and dedication. Now, just looking at Tymon, he probably could play for Carolina, but in this illustration, he didn't. How many points did he score? How many rebounds did he have? How many blocked shots? How many minutes played? Zero. So, Tymon, as a fan, is a spectator and not a participator. Fans spectate. Players participate. Or if we say it this way, of Jesus. Fans spectate. Cheer, yes. Sometimes criticize. Oh, why did you run that play? And so on. Followers participate. Timon did an awesome job, didn't he? Let's give it up for our main man, Timon. Hey, Timon has committed to this illustration in all three services. How about that? So, yeah, so so there you go. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Fans can know fight songs, fans can know the history of the team, fans can know the statistics. Fans can go to the Dean Dome and say, oh, I remembered a 1993 team and give you the starting five. And here's the f- fans can have a lot of information. But what Jesus is doing here in Mark 8 is making a distinction. And why are the crowd sizes going to diminish over time? Why? Who's leaving? Fans are leaving. The followers are few and they are the ones who will remain. But be assured of this. Be assured of this. God Almighty can do more with a handful of followers than He could ever do, or would ever do, through large numbers of fans. I have three things that I want to pull from Mark 8. And the first one is this it is a word of warning. First point is this most fans think they are followers. Most fans think they are followers. Uh, I know I've shared this before, but one of the most uh, sobering passages in all the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, on that day, that judgment day, he references it here as well when he comes back, right? On that judgment day, many, not a few, not a handful, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, I'll look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. So most fans think... They are followers. Why? Because fans do give investment of time and investment of interest. And who won last night? We did, right? That's how fans think. And Lord, help us. Another reason that most fans think they are followers is because churches and pastors are often quick to confirm fans they are followers. Why? Why? So that you'll have a bigger crowd? Oh, God help us, right? So in order to keep a bigger crowd, too often in church, we don't talk about denying self, but rather esteeming self, and that's dangerous, dangerous. Taking up your cross, what Jesus says here, is a call to die to self. If you've been with us in recent Studies, we've looked at some fans of Jesus, right? Nicodemus, who was interested in Jesus, respected Jesus, unlike most of the Pharisees, was not hostile to Jesus. But when he came to Jesus, how did he do so? He came so at night. Why did he come at night? Was Jesus not accessible in the daytime? Oh, he was more than accessible in the daytime. Why did he come at night? So that nobody would see him. And then the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus in the daytime, right? And he was eager. He was nice. He was moral. He was respectable. He wanted to do the right thing but Jesus pointed out something about his heart, and it was this, that there was something he loved more than he loved God, and what happens over time is that fandom sort of diminishes and decreases over time. All of us, all of us know people, all of us love people that at one time or another gave every evidence and indication that they were devoted followers of Jesus, but right now have nothing to do with him. Why? Why? Well, the Apostle John himself says that they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. There's a distinction between fandom and following. Fandom can be full of zeal for a moment. Jesus said there's some seed that falls on soil and immediately it springs up, but when persecution comes on account of the word, it shrivels up and dies. another picture of fandom. Well, we can use the words of Jesus to uh, expose if necessary or liberate us from merely being a fan of Jesus to being a follower and he says if anyone would come after me the invitation is unto him so fans at the end of the day are going after something other than the person of Jesus what may they be going after? well I just brainstormed a few things they might be going after tradition just our tradition to uh, talk about the Lord or be interested in spiritual things, right? They may go after alleviating family pressure. Maybe it's just the expectation of your family that you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. It's never really been what your soul was set on, but to deal with the expectation. Or they, they go after wanting to be well thought of. Go after any number of things. They just don't go after if anyone would come after me. So the simplest way of knowing if you're a fan or a follower is simply to ask the question, do you really love Jesus? See, fans can be loyal, but followers come after Jesus because of love. Now, a fan may have a sense of loyalty for a little while or admiration, but when do fans uh, uh, stop being fans is often when this happens, and we see it right here when Jesus reveals who he really is and what he's really like and what his commands really are and and you don't agree right and at that point this is what's happened with a Peter right here we we read verse 34 look at verse 32 Jesus said this plainly what that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Fans think about the things of man, followers about the things of the Lord. Well, another one. We've got three, so here's the second one. Fans of Jesus think in terms of commitment. Followers of Jesus enter a covenant with Jesus. So here's the distinction I'm trying to make between two things. In the same way we're making a distinction between fans and followers, let's make a distinction between commitment and covenant. What are denial and death? That's covenant language. I know several people, I don't know what was going on last weekend, but several people I know got engaged last weekend. I don't know if it was the stay-at-home order, and they just realized, hey, I can't live without her, I'm going for it, and they just went for it. Something went on last weekend and I've noticed that uh, when uh, I, well, I, I'll get a phone call occasionally and my privilege as a pastor is to do weddings. I love to do weddings. You know what a wedding, you know what a marriage is? Is marriage a commitment or a covenant? It's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And marriage is a call to, you know what marriage, maybe we don't know anymore in our generation what marriage is. Marriage is about a denial and a death. That's what marriage is. In fact, in fact, properly and biblically understood, marriage represents exactly what we're talking about here. God designed marriage to be a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Man will leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife, two shall become one. They're naked and unashamed. There's no Uh, coincidence that Jesus uses the phrase those who are ashamed of me it's a call back to marriage adulterous and ashamed those are covenant words right death and denial are covenant words well I uh, I took my vows 19 years ago this coming week Julie and I's anniversary is on Tuesday here's what we said take you to be my wife not we I said this he said something very similar, but you understand. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. We made on June the 16th, 2001, a covenant. And many times now I get the privilege, somebody will call me up and I'm excited, I'm getting married, can you do our wedding? And then we chart out times to meet ahead of time so we can talk about some of the things we're talking about right now in what's called premarital counseling. It's really pre-covenant counseling. And, and you know what the question sometimes I ask. I'm going to start to ask it more and more. Are you ready to die? If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to get married. When we talk about following Jesus, you know what Jesus is saying? You're going to belong to me. Are you ready to die? I, I, uh, I've never ever 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 had anybody call me up and say brandon i've decided to move in with my girlfriend can you officiate the day we move in together nobody's ever called and asked me that why not well that's kind of a commitment That's not a covenant he said that sounds ridiculous why would anybody call you well this is this is what we're making can you give us pre-moving in together counseling nobody's ever asked me that i'd do it and i'd say don't that's that would be my that'd be my counsel because often we want the benefits of a covenant tracking, without the sacrifices of a covenant. And that is the distinction between fans and followers. You see, when you take vows, suppose you take the vows, that wouldn't even be the right way of saying it. I know this is silly. Y'all just hang with me for a moment. Because I've read the number of people who've decided to move in together is skyrocketing in our generation and marriage is on the decline right and so just suppose if you were to take sort of, sort of a moving in ceremony it wouldn't sound like till death do us part would it it wouldn't commitments based on my own feelings and i'll go along with it as long as it works for me is different than a covenant Covenants are written in blood. (laughs) Can I give you encouragement tonight? God's willing to enter into a covenant with you. In fact, the last time, as the crowds have diminished and diminished and diminished, and Jesus is in the upper room with his small group of followers, isn't this what he talks about? A new covenant I'm going to make with you in my blood. A lot of people want a relationship with Jesus that's a commitment but Jesus makes it clear here that it is a covenant and what is the basis of making a covenant it's gonna sound really simple but I want you to hang with me the basis of a covenant is love you can't make somebody love you can you I remember when uh, I met Julie I said oh I wish I could make her love me I can't in fact if you if you make try to make somebody love you they don't love you right that's just kind of how it works This isn't a command. He does not say, Thou shalt love me. He says, If anyone would come after me, the only reason you'll come after Jesus is because you love him and because you love him more than anything else. It's an invitation by Jesus unto himself. But it does have this demand let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me so my third point is simply this to come after jesus if anyone would come after me what does that phrase to come after really mean to come after jesus means you are all in with your time your thoughts your resources and your energy that's what it means to enter a covenant with with the lord you are all in have you ever um i'm not a good swimmer so i get a little bit nervous around the water but have you ever been on the dock and going to get in a boat and you got one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat and the boat starts to move? What do you have to do then? You have to make an all-in decision, don't you? Or, or you really be all in. I mean, you've got to make a... That's what Jesus is saying here. If you're going to come after me, and in the weeks to come, we're going to take these phrases one at a time and really, by God's grace, understand what it means to deny self, take up the cross, and follow me. To submit to Christ means that you're all in. Did you know that in all the four Gospels, which are 89 chapters, I want want to talk to you for, for three minutes here. Who is it when we say Jesus invites you to himself? What is he like? What is his heart really like? Did you know that in the four Gospels, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. Now, that might surprise you. What I would say in all his actions, he's displaying his heart, of course, and most clearly at the cross, but there's only one place in all four Gospels where Jesus says of himself, this is what my heart is like, and it's in Matthew. So if you're in Mark, turn back with me. One book to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 Maybe familiar passage to some of us. Verse 28. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. What's the heart of Jesus like, according to Jesus? He uses this phrase, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He does not say I am rigid and demanding of heart. He doesn't say I'm high and mighty of heart. He says I'm gentle and lowly. I've been reading a book by an author named Dane Ortland, called Gentle and Lowly. And he writes this in reflection to this passage. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him Is not a pointed finger, but open arms. That's who's saying, if you want to come after me. (laughs) Because rest assured, friends, whatever you go after, if it's not Jesus, you'll find that yoke is not easy. And that burden is not light. In fact, you go after those things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to come to a point where you're weary and (laughs) heavy laden. And that's the invitation Jesus makes. Come to me come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I've not got a pointed finger. I've got open arms. Hey, I knit you together. (laughs) I know you. I know you. I know who you really are. I know you when nobody else is around. I know what you really struggle with. I know what you're really afraid of. I know what you're really angry about. I know what you're really scared about. But I'm gentle and lowly of heart. You can come to me. This is almighty God. Now, gentle doesn't mean weak. Gentle is real strength. You know, every wedding I have ever done, the bride, if we're in this room, usually enters from that uh, direction, always comes in and put a whole lot of thought into the day, right? I mean, everything about that day. And the bride wants to look her best and has picked out the dress isn't there even a television show say yes to the dress or something like that I've never watched it I think my daughters have and uh, listen the invitation is not get your act cleaned up and look your best and then come it's like instead of yes to the dress the Lord is saying I'm going to say yes to this mess that's all we have you turn shame into glory Guess, guess what we brought to that equation? Shame. <laughs> you turned graves into gardens. Guess what we brought? We, we, we brought the grave. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. In this covenant, he's bringing all the better. We're bringing all the worse, right? He's bringing all the riches. We're bringing the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. He says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. That's who Jesus is. So we want to behold his gentleness at at Calvary, right? Well, it's kind of a double meaning, I guess. I I meant that at the cross, but also at Calvary, at our church. Behold his gentleness there. Remember what he said? He said, I could could call an an army of angels and wipe this place out. But instead of destroying everything, he laid his life down that's the act of the strongest person in the universe I'm the holy one yet I'm lowly and you know what lowly means uh it it means um probably the best way of understanding is willing to get in the mess right Uh, lowly is the opposite of haughty opposite of arrogant opposite of the proud like uh like I'm not going to get my hands dirty Jesus didn't just get his hands dirty he got his hands nail pierced he got his hands bloody in order to redeem us Remember, if he knit us together, he knows what's wrong with us. And if he made us, he can remake us. So for us tonight, I want you to behold your Savior. Behold your King, the Lord Jesus. He's gentle. He's lowly of heart. And in him you can find what you will not find anywhere else. Did you hear him in Matthew 11? You'll find rest. Rest for your souls. I think at best, most of us are fighting rest for our body. We just go to sleep at night, right? But the moment you wake up, there's the soul and it's restless. Well, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Well, I do have one application for us before we close our Bible study and our sermon. And it's this. um, We'll use the marriage language. The two shall become one right the two shall become one so when you enter a covenant with Jesus you can't unite your heart to his without your heart becoming like his so here's here's the best indicator that your soul is increasingly at rest that you are gentle and you are lowly of heart you treat people with gentleness Or with exasperation, right? You treat people with gentleness, or are you easily irritated? Are you lowly, meaning that you're willing to listen and meet people where they are? That's how the Lord met us, right? Gentle and lowly of heart. I know I've uh, shared this in the past. I've I've been thinking about this quote a lot, and I know I've shared it with you as uh, as well. Uh, because, because it informs me the kind of dad that I want to be. I, r- I read this in a book not long ago. Uh, we all have a, one or two kinds of dads. When you were in a big mess and something had really gone wrong and it really was your fault, was the thought coming to your mind, oh, I hope my dad doesn't find out, or I really need my dad's help right now. If anybody would come after me, who are we going after? What's his heart like? This his heart like? Hey, guess what? He found, he's, he's found out. <laughs> he's found out all about us. And I hope uh, you can see in the scripture that that is good news. It is good news for us that he knows all about it. Because we have a father in heaven who in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, has made it clear to us, made it clear to us, he's come to help. Didn't create the mess, right? But I'm willing at great cost to myself to help. Let's stand together. and We're going to pray together. We're going to sing to the Lord together. And uh, those of us gathered here in the room, if you're streaming, watching where you are, I do want to talk to you for just a moment. Would you give me grace just to speak to you for a moment? How's your heart tonight? Way down deep on the inside. Are you restless? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Can I assure you that being a fan of Jesus will never help that. It will only increase the restlessness. Are you in covenant with the covenant-keeping God? Denied yourself, taken up your cross, you you died to your life the way you were going to live it because it wasn't going to bring joy or satisfaction or any real life. The invitation is from Jesus himself. Come to me. Come to me. My arms are open. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. That's what the Lord says. He's not tired of you. He's not exasperated with you. But when we come, we do come in repentance and faith. We do come saying, I'm going to take up my cross so I can really live. Because if I try to keep finding my life, I'll lose it. But if I lose my life for your sake and the gospels, I will find it. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you bring refreshing to our souls and real rest. God, liberate us from (laughs) fandom unto really following the Lord. I'm grateful that it can be so much more than I'm committed to Jesus. I'm in covenant with Jesus. He's going to keep the covenant. He is the faithful bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride, the church. Thank you that you love us When we're your enemies. You love us when we have made wreck of our lives and the world. All of our hope is in Christ. So we look to you and we set our hearts on you. Thank you that you're gentle and lowly of heart. And uh, I desire the yoke that is easy and the burden that's light. Life with Jesus in his name. Amen.